0: podcast is part of the Sports Social
1: Podcast Network. Hi, my name is Mike Lee. This is part two of our tribute to Tay Venables. If you'll listen to this show first, maybe listen to part one before part two. In this episode, part two, we'll be looking at Terry's time at Crystal Palace, Queen's Park Rangers and Barcelona and chatting to Palace fan Graham Smith, Queen's Park Rangers fan Alex Lowe and then the eminent football writer, graham hunter enjoy uh well we've had uh, an ex-player from this era let's talk to a fan who was there throughout this period tv executive presenter of the palace podcast graham smith how are you graham i'm super super duper thanks let's give uh, the listener a bit of context obviously managerially, he made his name at Crystal Palace. Give us a bit of a background of Palace before Terry Venables, what they'd done, what was the kind of an, in anticipation,
2: or what do fans expect trudging there week in, week out? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the thing is, obviously, Crystal Palace is the, is the team of Croydon. It's Croydon's mm. team. You know, and I'm from Croydon. My family's from Croydon. And, you know, I'm a supporter because my dad was a supporter of the club from the 1930s, you know. So, you know, and it was it's slightly more in that era in the 60s. You know, obviously there were glory hunters, but you generally followed your local team. You know, Palace was my local team, and up until the late 60s, they've been they've been middling, bumped along on the you know uh, the lower leagues, like third division uh,
1: south for a lot of the time. Yes,
2: yeah, 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 really for 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 a, for a long time, and then in the uh, sort of late 60s, they're in the the old second division and. Uh, under Burt Head, Burt Head was the manager, and suddenly they started doing better than they, than they had done. You know, they'd never really had stars or anything. Um, and who were the owners? Oh, yeah. Was it local businessmen owning it? Yeah, it had always traditionally been local businessmen, right? A- a- as with most football clubs, yeah. you know, football clubs were the the fiefdoms of of your local, uh, you know, you know, Rotary Society, your, the lo- local car dealers, and etc. And Palace Palace was no different. Palace was no different. Um, in fact, there was a group of owners in the uh, 40s, and they basically passed the chairmanship b- between them. It was like a little club of ownership. Anyway, so in the 60s, so I go to my first match, uh, Easter 1969, my brother takes me. We're doing well in the second division. We played Middlesbrough. It's a draw. Um, that's my first time I go to SLS Park. My second game was our first game when we got promotion into the first division so it's august september 1969 our first game manchester united and this is when palace held 50,000 people manchester united it was the great manchester united although at that point they were fading they were fading and it was you know a, a, a pulsating game and it was a 2-2 draw and so suddenly it's just like palace had. We were in in the first division and 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 we held our own, you know. So, you know, there, there, there were there were moments of, Halle- Sporting Paris. It's like it's like a desert, with a very occasional lush oasis of <laughs> yeah, joy, yeah. <laughs> and then you move on and you're in the desert again. You know. Yeah. So so yeah. So we had all that. So f- f- fast forward to 1976.
1: I mean, just going Um, back there, because just just, again, people think Venables played there in Palace 74. Uh, I think he came in, Don Rogers went the other way. He made 14th appearances, gave up knee injury, arthritis in his knee. And then Malcolm Allison gave him a coaching role in that second half of that campaign. So a young Venables, just retired from playing,
2: is working under the
1: great Malcolm Allison.
2: Yes, yeah, and, and the things. But and, and bear in mind that now, you know, we 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 we're we, two two relegations. Yeah, you know, in the in the nineteen seventy, we'd been in the first division. By nineteen seventy six. 1975 76 we're in the third division you know mm. we're in the equivalent of league one mm. um but we have this super flamboyant manager we have you know malcolm allison with his with his cashmere coat and his fedora being and photographs of him in the players bath with fiona richmond <laughs> you know things <laughs> like that he it it brought this sort of rather rather confusing glamour to the palace and he'd be walking out on the pitch, and he'd be waving and it would and and then of course the latter half of that 75 76 season we had this amazing cup run and so obviously you know venables is on the coaching staff so he's sort of at that point he's sort of quietly in the background because Venables because uh uh malcolm Harrison is the figurehead and then we have this amazing cup run and, you know, and, and I went as a 15-year-old, as a you know, I went to the, those two really memorable games, the quarterfinal against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, uh, Peter Taylor, by then Peter Taylor was our star, you know, Peter Taylor, I believe, scored a match-winning free kick. So we're at Stamford Bridge. We beat Chelsea in their own backyard, a third division club, which was, again, one of those brief oases of glory. Um, and then it's the semi-final against, against Southampton. Who we were a you second division team, yeah. Yes, who then and there was like a massive disappointment.
1: Didn't play well. A lot of the players there said if it was a sort of grey, rainy day, but it was a bright, sunny day and we just didn't get going. They're very, very disappointed. Yeah.
2: Yeah, lost 2-0 and it was it was very underwhelming. After the glory of the Chelsea game, it was it was it was just very disappointing. Anyway, anyway, so now, now we're in the Venables era. Yeah, and, so Venables you know, he, so apparently Allison when he
1: moved on, he recommended Venables to the board. He said he's your man.
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and Venables then built a steady um, he did a steady job building building the club up, you know. With very, with very little
1: money. He sold Taylor what? to Tottenham for 200,000. So that was the main money, I assume, that was used to bring all these kind of young players and journeyman players into the Indeed. team.
2: Indeed. And, and, but bear in mind, the owner of the club at this time was a guy called Ray Bloy. You know, right. Ray Bloy, another sort of lo- local businessman. And, 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 then, and so on the pitch, everything's going... Uh, you know, brilliantly, and then we had the glorious night in '79 beating Burnley, and we're, and we're promoted to the first division. Back in the first division, we're back, 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 and you know, and you know what? This time, we're the team of the '80s, yeah. the team of the '80s, which is like a when you see those old. Films about you know and slaves and and slaves walking along with a massive weight around their neck. That's ours. And then yeah. the weight is written team of the eighties, yeah. and we will we will <laughs> never be able to forget. Oh, Christopher, yeah, team of the eighties, yeah. <laughs> so you know, and so you know, we, we had the promotion. The first season up, we you know we do okay. We do. Were you a top for one week? You were top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But rather like, rather like in 1965, Herman's Hermits were very briefly bigger than the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> <know> <laughs> but, but that season,
1: she said she's okay. You finished mid-table, which then was the club's ever the highest ever league
2: finish. So think, think, things are good. Then what? Then what? What went wrong? <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, obviously, you know, I, you know, as we know, you know, the season started badly and and quite quickly. Um, uh, Venables is off, off to his, 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 the, what, what, one of the clubs closest to his heart will probably, Chelsea, yeah. yeah. QPR, and then we're, we're oh, down yeah, the, yeah, it's hot as well. Yeah,
1: there's a few. Yeah,
2: you know, he, he, he goes to QPR, but obviously there are massive issues going on at the club because, you know, a few months after he, he, he leaves, um, you know Bloy is out and Ron Nodes is is in. I can't remember, you might have the facts to hand, whether we actually go into administration in early 1981. But that is the point where Ray Bloy leaves and Ron Nodes comes in. Um do you so, think that do you think that kind of
1: story though is is kind of repeated by so many clubs? You're traditionally a small club. You go for it, you get success, you get a bit of money, you start spending that money, but it's not enough money. You don't have enough money. It's keeping up the Joneses, football-wise. Then you start struggling, and then th- there's not enough money to cover these wages. And, I mean, it
2: happens. It still happens. I mean, it absolutely yeah, yeah. still happens. I mean, it, it, you know, it's still exactly the same now with Crystal Palace. So it was a very interesting story. I don't know when this is going to go out, but a very interesting story about debt from Daniel Story in the Independent, just about what Crystal Palace is now, you know, and that and we are, we are a, a, a mediocre, mid-table, if we're lucky, Premiership side, you know, you know, decrying the tactics of 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 of, of Hodgson, um, and the the lack of ambition of the owners. But I think the our current owners, at least, they've learned the lesson of. You know, financial madness ends in disaster. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's—Palace like palace has been through it sev- several times, and mm. several people have lost fortunes. Yeah. because of it. You know. Yes, of course. So, but how? You- but how are you at this
1: particular era? How do you? How do you look back at that time under Terry Venables?
2: Oh, you know, it, it was it was briefly a golden era. Briefly a golden era, you know. And he built up from, you know, Malcolm Allison's that joyful FA Cup run in 1976, and he'd, he'd slowly built it up there like, over three years. And so, you know, you know, you get to 1979 and then and 1980, and it's just like, uh, you know, we've never ha- had it so good, but it never it never lasts. It ne- it never lasts. And being, as I say, Palace fan, It's never lasts, (laughs) And the thing is about Palace, and this is a terrible thing to say, as a long line, we've been in the Prem 10 years, you know. Crystal Palace are a natural championship side. That's what they are. And one of these seasons, we will go down. One of these seasons, we will have a bad season, and we'll go down like Southampton, you know, or Bournemouth might this year, you know, all those clubs who, you know, you make one bad mistake with a signing, you get too many injuries and you have a few bad decisions on the pitch. And suddenly, you know, it's, it it can be very, it can be very precarious. It can be very precarious, you know, So we're in this position even now of, every point is precious and we, you're always looking five games ahead oh god we've got Bournemouth we've got West Ham, we've got Bournemouth we've got Liverpool, we've got Brighton we've got Chelsea, how many points are we going to yeah. get? Can we get five <laughs> points <do you> know? <laughs> that's how you think all the time you know? oh. and it's, it's a nothing changing nothing changes, you know And then he uh, obviously moved to Queen's
1: Park Rangers as a manager. And I'm joined now by the actor, comedian, raconteur, Mr. (laughs) Alex Lowe. How are you, Alex?
3: Very well, thank you. I'm delighted you're doing this retrospective. Well, I think, you know, I I
1: think he's kind of... There's been some lovely tributes to him in the papers and stuff. But again, you know, they do focus mainly on England, obviously, Yes, Barcelona. But I mean, these—I mean, I wouldn't say early days. Obviously, started at Palace, but at QPR, who were then a
3: second division team, yeah. huge success again, and 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 a great side. Yeah, and uh, an absolute hero to QPR fans. You know, he's one of those managers where you had total, total faith in him. Um, there was—I I suppose the thing is about the the plastic pitch eighty-two. 82 which is very much the time I was in there week in week out in the Loftus Road end uh I was only you know, a mere slip of a 14 15 year old but there was a lot of talk at the time I remember from other jealous teams that oh Rangers have got this plastic pitch that's why they were successful not a bit of it because our away record was incredible and in that season under El we uh not Ltel in those days. <laughs> we were. Um, we we won the second division championship, and we got into the FA Cup final against Spurs.
1: That's right.
3: So uh, you know, and absolutely. My uncle was uh, on the board at QPR. At oh, time, really? Yes, and he was even deputy chairman when oh, really? uh, Gregory. I think Jim Gregory was ill for a bit, and because my uncle used to be uh, managing director for Hoover,
1: right,
3: uh, Perryvale. Right. right. May- yes. Yes. Okay, so quite often, when of course in those days I'd be in the Loftus Road and didn't want to be with the Prawn Sandwich Brigade up in the directors' box, but you know I met Terry Venables around about that time—a huge thrill. And yeah, I mean he was tactically brilliant. He, I i no doubt he probably got people in like Simon Stainrod and these weather weather at that time. Maybe totally different to now. There was such a thing as a bargain, but people like Stainrod came in, absolute hero with a coveted QPR number 10 shirt. So uh yeah, I would say Terry's an absolute folk hero with Rangers. And the
1: style of football was interesting because as as a Tottenham fan, I remember playing you, know, it was always a hard game. But defensively, you were pretty clued up. He liked the offside track, which a lot of people say he passed on to his mate, George Graham, who then went on to win the league with Arsenal, playing that kind of style, all the hand going up and all that. He he, he did that. He had a strong, I think was it Bob Hayes at the back, strong centre-half. He still had Gillard and Shanks there. Glenn Rhoda, beautifully cult- cultured Brilliant. player.
3: Brilliant. Uh, we had Warren Neil, Ian Dawes at the back. Terry Fennick, as you say um yeah really uh, I mean that was really frustrating I always remember Emlyn Hughes and Rotherham turning up once and just being so frustrated I mean it was that was always the perennial cry it's there to be beaten the offside trap and people used to get frustrated and say it was awful and then in the same breath they've got their bouncy pitch <laughs> and uh, <laughs> like my players is doing sliding tackles and what have you but yeah master tactician in that day in those days and also really exciting with people like uh, john gregory also a very cultured midfielder who played for um england as well so it was exciting we and we had i don't suppose i think stan had left just before there but we certainly had tony curry simon stainrod you know as i say john gregory Really cultured, great player. He liked a
1: stylish player, didn't he? Throughout his time, yeah, yeah. whether it was Gascoigne or whatever, he always loved that kind of maverick player. And he seemed to get the best out of maverick players where a lot of kind of traditional down managers just
3: couldn't handle them. I think that's probably right. And you kind of imagine he was probably a bit of a wheeler dealer, bit of a um, you know a player himself, journeyman player, I, I imagine, you know, uh, players respond to that hugely. Mm. And I mean, that 82, I mean, again, it's very rare. Obviously, Southampton
1: had done it in 76, being a second division team. I think Ipswich as well. But, you know, to, to get into the the, the cup final 82, when you had then a big Liverpool team and big sides, and there was the famous game, it was the quarterfinal, where you played Crystal Palace, his old club, and of course, Clive Allen's old club. And famously, Allen scored and then a bit like Adebayor did for Man City against Arsenal, ran the length of the pitch to give it to the uh, Palace fans. That was very controversial at the time.
3: Yeah, that's right. Well, and of course, he also scored in the semifinal against West Brom. West Brom, who are a very, 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 very strong
1: team uh, as well then.
3: Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I remember Bob Hazel being superb that day, but I mean, Clive Allen, just, this is off the subject of Terry Venables, but um, you know, that was, that was often said about that semi-final that, oh, it just bounced off his foot, but you have to be a real poacher to get in that position yeah you to score a goal like, like Clive Allen. So yeah, there were some great players at the time. And of course, you know, poor old Rangers really, really deserve to win that replay against Spurs. Well, the
1: replay they did, the first game, again, it, 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 they weren't good games for the, the neutral, even fans there. Tottenham had yeah. a very, very long season, yeah. 50-odd games, loads of games at the end of the season. They got over the line. But certainly when in that first game when Tottenham uh, took the lead, the deflector shot Hoddle, you kind yeah. of thought that was it. But then late on... Set pieces. We talked about his defensive qualities. He loved a set piece for many of his teams. Uh, and uh, it was uh, the Bob, you mentioned Bob Hazel there, the flick on and Terry Fennett getting in between the two defenders. Extraordinary. And, and you, you couldn't argue that, Pat,
3: uh, that that QPR didn't deserve that replay. Absolutely. I mean, it also arguably, maybe, I mean, I'm always slagging off VAR, but arguably we had a perfectly good goal from Gary McElwhite. Uh, John Gregory hit the bar. I don't know whether that was a cross or a shot. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so sad for poor old QPR, you know. But what a season to do that, get in the cup final, win the league, as I say, with a fantastic away record. And it was thrilling to watch. Week How week. did – I mean, I, I don't I don't remember because,
1: obviously, after that, I mean, again, the second division – okay, you know um, – sorry, the first division manager, did fifth in the league, to go to Barcelona. I don't – he got you fifth, 83-84, you qualified for the UEFA Cup. Do, do, do you, I know he wasn't there then, but do you remember
3: those UEFA Cup games, how, how they went? I remember a match at, I think we, we played at Highbury, and I don't know what that was, but we did have a match there, and that was in that European campaign. Um, I was going out with a girl at the time. I spent a lot of time with her and less time <laughs> in the football, so I'm <laughs> on that. I can tell you about her, though. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah no it was a it was that was kind of that that was great and when you look at poor old qpr now I think that uh, maybe there was just more room for that in those days. Maybe it was yeah. much more egalitarian time. But I can't see QPR A getting into Europe anytime soon and B <laughs> moving their manager on to Barcelona.
1: Yeah. I mean, the other thing that obviously Venables uh, is famous for because it was quite rare to be talked about at the time his off the field advertises, writing Hazel, co writing Hazel. Yeah. Um, with Nicholas Ball. He had a board game. He had a sort of, you know, he, was, he loved to sing. He had Scribes West. He, th- there aren't many of those kind of managers anymore that you might see down, down a... West End bar doing some karaoke, surrounded by mad Frankie Fraser and and, and whoever. I mean, well, Fiona Richmond, famously.
3: I, I I know. It's a real shame about, it's a real shame, particularly as a sort of comedy writer mm. and a satirist, you know, to, to have those people. It, everything's so flipping squeaky clean. I was thinking about uh, Gary O'Neill, you know, the Wolves manager, mm. suddenly comes in and where we've had, and this is, sounds vaguely racist. But where we've had these European, uh, and I know you're out in Portugal, Portuguese managers, I mean, I I don't know. It's it's more than a coincidence that this guy comes in who's played football in the premiership, who's played at the level of these guys, and he talks their language. And I've seen Mm. him talking in the dressing room and it's the kind of the kind of talk that fires them up and i wonder whether terry was the same sort of thing he's speaking the language of these working class english blokes
1: yeah i think <laughs> you're right, Portuguese
3: think you're right. Blokes, yeah. the case of course. well let's finish off now it's only
1: fair let's let's because we've discussed it let's listen now to uh, certainly some of the, some of the, the highlights of the 82 cup final let's have a listen now
0: oh good tackle by Hoddle on Waddick. roberts Hoddle. Hoddle! It's there! It's there! He won it with the tackle and he scored the goal! Glenn Hoddle, the pride of Tottenham, has sent the fans delirious again. Steinrod with the long throw for Queen's Park Rangers. Roberts, it was Hazel's flick, and Fenwick was in there! And it's a goal! Terry Fenwick. The set piece ploy works again. Fennec is the scorer. Five minutes left and it's Rangers' turn to celebrate and the long throw works again. Simon Stainrod took it. Watch for the flick on by Bob Hazel. Number five. Watch Terry Fennec coming at the far post and the header over Ray Clements' head. It's 1-1. A replay for only the third time in Wembley history. And the second time in consecutive years now seems certain, and the whistle confirms the fact. Terry Fenwick from the Northeast saves the Cockney Cup final for Chris Alex, Martin. thank you
1: so much for your time. Uh, you have, for those of you who don't know, uh, you you are the face, the mask, whatever you want to call it, the behind the huge success of Clinton Baptiste. Another tour coming up. Where can people get
3: tickets, and where are you playing? yeah please go to clintonbaptiste.com forward slash tour i've got a hundred dates up and down the country the moment i get off this call i've got to get back to writing the flipping thing so uh yeah thank you very much for that Mike. wow you're
1: like the bruce springsteen of character comedy these these ever never ending tours. <laughs> yeah that's right thank you <laughs> lovely thanks alex um, I'm joined now by the football writer Graham Hunter, who resides in Barcelona, to talk about that sort of seismic move. Um, I can only, I can't think of many top British managers who went overseas at that time. I think Vic Buckingham was probably the first uh, back in the sixties. Graham, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, tribute to Terry Venables.
4: Like, I'm really pleased to. Um, clearly, I didn't know Terry. At the time he moved um, to Barcelona, I was still making a big move of my own from Aberdeen to Glasgow then. Snip-
1: I'm sure you were a snipper boy. snipper boy no, then no, no, in the no, early no,
4: 80s. No. I ain't that young. I ain't that young sadly. <laughs> but I did get to know Terry, or I would call re- reasonably well. Um, we spent social time together. I went down uh, laterally to see him in his hotel near Alicante. But I also um, talked to him about football a lot. We coincided in... Both in Barcelona and in London, um, and I think just by admitting to him or by by explaining to him how much of an admirer I was of of him individually, um, his football, his daring, how he expressed himself. I was a big fan of the Hazel books, you know, James Hazel, yes, that's right, yeah. uh, which subsequently had been made in a, you know, was made in a, a TV. Uh, Nicholas, Ball, was Nicholas the, Ball, the actor. Yeah. They made it TV by read the books um, that he co-wrote, or at least he yes. gave the inspiration for. And I really, really, really liked Terry an awful lot, and and frankly, he was good to me too. So it's a, it's a sad thing to have a Christmas coming up, a world coming up, a uh, change of year coming up where there's no Terry around anymore. But it's a pleasure to be talking to you about him.
1: Yeah, that's lovely. I mean, he he obviously moved to Barcelona, a team who hadn't won the Liga since nineteen seventy-four. And he's gone from a relatively small club in QPR. Um, I believe Bobby Robson put a word in. What what's your understanding so did, of that? He move? did.
4: No, he did. I've spoken to both Bobby and Terry about this because again, I was I was perhaps even more friendly with Bobby. Um, Bobby phoned me when I was in London and he was leaving what had become a worldwide scouting role. To, to to ostensibly to chat, but then to ask whether he he wanted to know whether I thought he should go back to Newcastle or not, which was a, Bobby was an eccentric idiosyncratic man, but I was confused by him asking my opinion. But asked my opinion, he did. But we talked about Terry, and it was the case that Bobby. I, I guess you've had such a, an exhaustive tribute that you'll have to button and stop me. It's, it's fun no, That's, that's the, the other, beauty of it. It's open ended. It's an open ended tribute. <laughs> the, the 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 thing that really counts is that Bobby Robson's Ipswich had really impressed because they were playing a st- when they were sorry when they won uh, the UEFA Cup they were playing a style of football which was. Different to I mean, outstandingly different to what you saw as general fare in English First Division at a time when English clubs were obviously repeatedly exceptionally successful in Europe. But partly because of Bobby Robson's attitudes, partly because of um some high-quality footballers that he was able to get from the whole nations. But I think because of the influence of the way that uh, Francis Franz Tyson and Arnold Murin played, Ipswich looked and felt different on the ball, um, how they wanted to run games, and that caught the attention. And the reason it, it caught the attention, particularly at Barcelona, because if you want to understand why Terry, it's accurate to say that Bobby recommended, Bobby Robson recommended him, but it's not enough, not by any means. Terry came to a place and and nor is it enough to say, you know, they They hadn't won the the league title since Johan Cruyff arrived as a player. Again, that's not quite enough. What was happening was, um, I don't know if you listeners know, but Spain had been a dictatorship until 1985. One of the areas of Spain that had been most damaged by that was Catalonia. Barcelona is the biggest city in Catalonia. By no means were the only ones damaged. The Basque country didn't fare well under the dictator, General Franco. He died in 75, but like with any social and political change, um, it, it normally, you throw the stone into the pond, the ripples take a long time. So by, let's say, the 1980, they're beginning to plan for semi-autonomy and a parliament in, in Catalonia. So suddenly they're in this, um, this spring whereby everything's optimistic, everything is, we want to be self-determining. We, we we want to throw off the shackles of, I mean, remember they'd been under a dictatorship since the since the late '30s, and therefore it really was a you know an effervescent time of of change. And and one of the things that was happening was that now they were looking at why are we not a successful club, well, it, it, and it wasn't simply by any means. People should think of Barcelona did not resemble the club that they have been in in the. 90s onwards until today, whereby they're still regarded today as a as a sizable, important club. From the 90s until now, they've been deeply influential in people's ideas of of, of what a star footballer is, what, what what flowing football should be. That's that my that bears no relationship to what Terry was about to take over. Um, in the early 80s, remember, the league was consistently won by Real Sociedad and Athletic Club. Um, Real Madrid hadn't won the European Cup um, at that stage until I think the mid-60s, maybe 65, 66. But nonetheless, Real Madrid were a far more successful club. They were um, a far more popular club. And as such, when you think about um, Atleti um, being, even then, the established third force, in Spanish football. Barcelona were in, in real danger at that stage of, if not becoming an also-ran, becoming, you know, in Tier 5 or 6 of Spanish football. Now, now think about that before anybody thinks about how odd it was that they went to QPR, and although Terry had proven himself as first of all, interested in lots of different methods, I'm sure you've talked about them you know, the sprinting and the athletics that he introduced at Crystal Palace, the way in which he wanted his players to be athletically strong, athletically quick, the the way in which he coached the, you know, the team of the 80s, the, the fact that QPR got promoted and went to the final of the FA Cup. All, all those things are, are, are interesting and they were they're significant for a young coach like Terry. But to, to, to vault him into football club Barcelona, well, that only happens when Bus want to say we are we are starting a search for how to do things differently. We're starting a search for relevance, and they were willing to take risks. Um, until that time, yeah, they'd taken risks with a Hungarian or an Argentinian or a, a Dutch coach, but it had never been on their radar until Ipswich attracted their attention, and they spoke to Bobby Robson. And I think at that stage, Bobby knew that the England job was coming. And he turned them down specifically because for the moment he was very happy, but he, he was already convinced that he would get the England job. And as such, he, he wasn't willing to, to throw everything in and at that stage go and, and manage football club, bus on it.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and NA, member FDSE.
1: So, so when Venables went in, you know, famously, you know, and I know you're a mutual friend with Steve Archibald, <laughs> First, it happened. is arch is coming, and Maradona's going the other way from from, from Barcelona because Venables decided after a bit of training, he'd, well, the way you've he, he already mentioned how he wanted to play, he didn't think Maradona would fit into the way he wanted the team to play. That's that's you need huge balls to do that, don't
4: you? Yeah, my I don't know who's who's told you that, but that's the version of it. I'd have to say because the, but football club Bar, football club Barcelona is an institute that runs its transfer business. Irrespective of of the coach, and there there were you know, in May long before the season finished. Before Terry took over formally, Napoli had begun negotiations. Had come over, Maradona wasn't happy with his life. He he needed more money. He'd he'd begun uh, while the butcher of Bilbao and Don Diego had had damaged Maradona's. Legs so badly, and then there'd been the Athletic Bob Barcelona cup final where they ended up all ended up Kung Fu kicking each other. Maradona had begun to, to dose his pain with cocaine. And this wasn't unknown. And and, and there was a, a move from the the version of the mafia in Napoli that they, that they could that they could bring a superstar that they could tend to his off-pitch needs. And great, they got the best of him. But there was a a point at which when Terry was still, when Terry had been announced as the incoming manager, but the previous season hadn't finished, where um, Terry went to watch the, wow, uh, the European Cup final in Rome between Liverpool and Roma. And on the way back, gave an interview to the Spanish media about like, I'd like the president. You know, Napoli had had flown over in, in the days around that final. Had flown over to Camp Nou and had begun trying to prize Maradona out of Camp Nou. And Terry was widely quoted as saying, "I'd like the president, uh, President Nunez, to 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 slow down. Uh, let's wait and think." And Terry may well have, have looked at Maradona in training and and decided he didn't need him. Or or you listen. I hope you knew Terry in life, but anybody you've spoken to, anybody who did know him would, would say that Terry was exactly the of man who, like, oh, Maradona's gone. I don't care. I'm, I'm Terry Venables. We'll, we'll cope without him. But the tectonic plates were moving. Um, Maradona didn't want to stay. Um, Barcelona were looking for, uh, a change of environment. They hadn't been particularly successful with Maradona there. Remember no league title. And you know, some cup finals won and lost. It it, it really hadn't been um, what it was supposed to be in any way, and and it was ultimately it was definitely better for both parts that they moved. And and frankly, my if it was better for Terry, if Terry had been there, um, having to cope with Maradona's behaviour, which at a, a, a Barcelona was um, reductive and and and, an and it and and it was distracting. Whereas in Napoli. It fitted the. This the, is quite a conservative city. And back then, even though in the early 80s it was beginning to say, we are independent, we are free thinking, the Catalan culture it has no comparison at all to what Terry was most famous as a player in swing in London in the 60s. It had no comparison at all to the Napoli that Maradona went, went to. And as such, it was far better for Terry Venables that Diego Maradona left. Infamously, I don't know if you've spoken to Steve about this, when the when the 10 shirt went, went a-begging, Steve's lucky number was eight. He was desperate to have eight. Schuster was established. He was the big star. Terry buckled, which was unlike Terry, but he said, no, Schuster's got to keep eight. And Schuster wouldn't take 10, was scared of the number, the marathon number. And Steve was like, yeah, I'll take that. Because <laughs> Steve and Terry are, are kind of like... Different animals in, in some ways, but they're both geezers. You know, they're both rock solid in their opinion of themselves. And um what I would say is that Terry came into a club where it was it was reeling. Like right? it was genuinely nobody listening should think that he came into the type of club that Pet Guardiola took over or Card came over, or even the type of club. That, um, that Johan Cruyff uh, reshaped before it began winning and winning and winning. Terry's job was very, very, very big indeed. I I personally think it's, I'll let you got a question in a second now. I personally think that his work and his achievements and his impact on, on Catalan football are, are deeply, deeply undervalued.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Absolutely. What, what did he do? Did he kind of bring in a sort of classic... English style, is, was that's what he did when, when he went in there? How did he try and
4: shape things, from your I understanding? Think first of all, I think as a team, first of all, they were distinctly more organised. Um, they had a tough and very successful back four and extremely characterful and an agile, not particularly tall, goalkeeper called Uruti, who had a character a, a little bit similar to a little bit similar to Emilio Martinez at the moment at Villa, where it was like me against the world, I'll produce heroics. He was also a massive inspirational character, beloved by the team, absolutely beloved by the team. And that <clears throat> foundation, Mike, I think at the back, probably the most, not not everybody listening to this will, will know the names, but the two most famous names at the back uh, would be Migueli, who was a who was a, a Carlos Puyol style um, figure? Who would I compare him to? Not not Perryman, not Mabbitt, but uh, not Cyril Knowles. But if you can pluck for me a Spurs man who was there forever, who was hard as nails, The Graham and Robert's, Roberts type,
1: would you say Graham Roberts yeah, type? There's,
4: there's a shout now. There's a really good shout. More modern, but yeah, you 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 you've nailed that in terms of. Uh, will to win, body on the line, uh, growling others, um, intimidating opponents. Migueli was very, very nicknamed Tarzan. <laughs> very, very popular, <laughs> very important, Terry. Julio Alberto, a, a, a um, Spanish international fullback who was extremely talented. Not a wing back, but, but still prone to venturing forward. Got a crucial goal in the quarterfinal of the European Cup to beat Juventus at Camp Nou. Subsequently again dabbled with drugs, jumped out of a hotel window, survived that. He's still with us today, but has had a troubled life since, but was again central for Terry. And I think if you if you think about um there was a very skillful player called Calderi. He he Naeem was given game time, lots of game time or increasing game time by Terry and became important. Steve was brought in to to huge effect. That Steve brought um, a steal skill, big goals. Because it was it Hugo
1: Sanchez or someone that the club wanted to sign, and apparently, I think Steve tells the story that
4: he's in one room and Steve's in the other room. He's like, "Am I coming here or not? What's going this, on?" This is, this is the This is exactly the point I'm making about the club. Was the club felt themselves all powerful? They they did not necessarily treat you particularly well. This is my point about the Maradona thing. Yes, they were trying for Sanchez. They failed. Yes, Steve went into a meeting thinking originally that he was the golden child. And and Gary wanting Steve. But the, the club double dealing. And if you speak to Steve now, you his effects, he's still, I think, in touch with Gaspar, uh, Gaspard, who was the Juan was the vice president, but he was the doer. He was the people remember Nunez, a builder, construction magnet. Um, who was a Basque? He wasn't Catalan, and and there they were a double act of of a, of a preening small man syndrome president and a and a, and a smart, busy, uh, multilingual vice president, and they did what they wanted to a certain extent, and yeah, Steve very nearly didn't get his dream move, but Prince Huster at that stage, in my opinion was a sublime, supreme midfielder. Again, if people don't... I'm old, but if people don't understand him, it, it'll make me sad, because Schuster, who eventually put for Atleti and Real Madrid, as well as Barcelona, was a, a sensational um, ball-playing, free-kick-taking, um, sort of flash-and-flop of um, blonde hair, really glamorous... Football guy who I still work with to this day, and he's oh, still wow. extremely um, interesting <laughs> and fun, and speaks very good English. Didn't didn't so much, I think, then, but he was Steve's roommate. But he was a special, special footballer. I promise you. I mean, I guess you because you're a football lover. I guess you hmm. remember him or yes, I remember Shuster. Yes. So there's there, there were there were elements that were really important across the team there. But to, to answer your question, what Terry brought in, I think, was um, a, a certain degree of. Physical fitness, um, an organisation whereby, let, let, let me give you a stat, for example. You pointed out that Barcelona hadn't won the title for, what was it, maybe? 11, 24, uh, I think, was the last one, yeah. yeah. 24. And um, and therefore, they weren't used to posting stats like this. But under Terry, <clears throat> I mean, the, the, the key story in, in that first season is the first game. But under Terry, they didn't lose a league match until mid-December. They only lost one more the remainder of the season, so they're two defeats off an unbeaten season, mm. and they win the title. They beat Real Madrid twice, and I think that key. Yeah, that was says, a, for the
1: listeners who don't know. The first game was away to Real Madrid, and didn't they? I it, think they won four nil, three 0 it,
4: four 0 It's almost unheard yeah. of, Mike. I mean, the classical now it's just it's a stage thing. It's like a, a, like yes. a rugby. It's like a set play. Everybody knows what's going to happen. Nobody actually you know, tries for the ball that much and it's just like, up we go. And now it's like pff, middle of October and, and middle of spring and, and that's it. So it's a, in inverted commas, the classical isn't wasted in some date that people don't care about. That day was the, it's the Barcelona at Madrid on the opening day of the season. I mean, I think it's unheard of and um, before or certainly not since. And they go there and, you know, Terry's Grown up and laughing listen, Terry got married, didn't he, on the morning of a North London derby. And, um, um, you know, played in North London derbies and played for Chelsea against the other London clubs and, and therefore knew a little bit of Edge, you know, when when he, when he saw it really. And at Palace as well, they weren't maybe, it wasn't maybe as bumpy as, but as coach of Palace, he'd seen a few things. You talk to either Terry uh, um, or Steve about that first game. The the, the police escort is next to zero. It disappears as they get close to the Bernabeu. The coach is stoned. The windows are smashed. You know, you think of these stories, I suppose, in Argentina or, you know, really lawless Italy of the 70s. Well, no, this was the Barcelona team coach. Now it's a TV set piece. And the, and the bus arrival and the fans there and the cops everywhere, there would be an outright scandal if that happened. There'd be a, world, a, a worldwide story. And at that stage, of course, football is not a worldwide instant story. And they, they're, you know, they're on the floor of the bus hiding from shattered glasses. They they're arrive at the Bernabeu. And yeah, you're right. Steve opens the scoring. First first senior goal for a bus on it is at Bernabeu in a 3-0 win. At Real Madrid, it, you know, intentions set. They subsequently beat um, They've Victor Munoz, another key, key footballer who played 80, 90 times for Spain and ultimately joined Steve at St. Mirren. Victor Munoz is sent off in the return classical at Camp Nou. They have 10 men for 60 minutes and still win 3-2. In fact, a free one up until Butcher scores in the last minute. And i throw in a fact that people disregard a lot because it was an... It was, a, it was a sort of baby tournament, uh, the League Cup in Spain. But in 80... Oh, help me here. Is it 85 or 86? I think it's 86. It is 86, sorry. In May 86, um, Terry wins the, the League Cup for Barcelona, beating Betis in the final. But in the quarterfinals, they pump Real Madrid 6-2. 4 at the Bernabeu, 2-2 at Camp Nou. And, you know, you think to yourself... Um, the victories against Real Madrid, the, the League Cup win, the league win, the way they qualify for the European Cup final, you think, how the hell was he out of a job? Yes. Right, by 1997. Yeah. Times were different, Cruyff was arriving, Cruyff was the, just the way in which Van der Hal was on the, on the conveyor belt to, to bump out Bobby Robson. The club were immediately that Cruyff became a coach, they were watching closely. And I, I think, although there were a couple of, Dodgy results, the the Bucharest, the way that the South Bucharest final was lost, the two defeats to Dundee United in Europe. These things sealed Terry's fate. But in, in in honest truth, I think that within the club, they saw him as an icebreaker, they saw him as a changer of the times. And I personally don't believe that they saw Terry as, you know, somebody there's a 10 year man. We we repeatedly give him faith, we back him. The message was amongst the board, Christ's coming. Cruyff's coming, right. and, and Terry did them the job, he wasn't asked to develop the way in which Christ did the youth systems, he wasn't asked to rewrite the wiring of, of the entire club he was told, win us things, win win, 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 and he flipping well did.
1: He certainly did that's amazing,
4: Graham, thank you so much for
1: your time, and your 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 memories and thoughts of that golden time, I mean as, as I said at the, the top there, I can't think of many British managers, I mean after him we had Toshak Famously there and, and a few others. But he really was a, a trendsetter, wasn't he? Oh, was he? I the...
4: Kendall went there um, yes. as well. You know, and 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 now it's, I think it's far more, you've sort of subsequently got Bobby Robson back, approached Alex Ferguson twice. You're right, it became in vogue. And, and although there had been a history of British, you know, 60, 70 years before, there'd been a history of British coaches in Spain, there'd been a 56-year gap, 50, 60-year gap so Terry was a trendsetter, and I, listen, if we're tying a ribbon and saying goodbye, let me let me tell you that when, you know, Terry, unfortunately, when when he got there, he became single again, his relationship broke up, and there was a club called the Up and Down Club in Barcelona, up near where I am now, and there's a hotel called the Princess Sophia, which is at the top of the hill, looking down at the camp now, and Terry sort of held court in the bar as you came in the front door in the giant, elegant lobby. There was a bar on the right-hand side. And Terry would hold court there for friends or it, p- prospective players or agents or the media. And he lived well. He lived happily. He was he was still... He looked like a player. He was slim. He was tanned. He was fit. He was having a really good life. He, he him and Alan Harris enjoyed themselves there. Graham Turner was his interpreter. I'm still friends with Graham and his, and his daughter, Lucy. And, and it, it was a burgeoning, I think, largely happy, impressive time that trampoline Terry up to what he achieved at Spurs in England later on. And I promise you, we're talking about, you know, although it's a sad time to say goodbye to, to Terry, we're talking about a time that was fecund and it was glorious and it was happy and it was confidence and reputation building for Terry.
1: That was part two of our tribute to Terry Venables. Join us very, very soon for part three, the final part, when we'll be looking at his time at Tottenham Hotspur, England, and then his return to Crystal Palace. Join us soon.
4: Sports Social Podcast Network.